You are listening to Keystone's Stock Talk Show, episode 241. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a busy show planned for you this week, including four Your Stock, Our Take segments, as well as a discussion from my recent presentation at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference and our upcoming appearances, myself and Aaron, at the World Outlook Conference in Vancouver. Aaron's going to kick off our festivities this week with an, uh, by answering a question on Algoma Central Corporation, symbol ALC on the TSX, a provider of marine transportation that owns and operates dry and liquid bulk carriers servicing, servicing markets through the Great Lakes, St. Lawrence Seaway, and internationally. The company pays a strong 5% dividend and has seen growth accelerate in recent years. Aaron lets you know if this income stock is worth a look for your portfolio. I will tackle a viewer question on SSC Security Services Corp, symbol SECU on the TSX. It is the largest publicly traded security company in Canada, which is debt-free and pays a solid 4.29% dividend. Listeners asks us our thoughts on this microcap security consolidator. Brett answers a question on AirIQ, symbol IQ on the TSX Venture, which provides wireless asset management and location services in Canada. We included AirIQ as a company we monitor in a recent larger special report. While a nano cap with a market cap of under 15 million, AirIQ is profitable with a solid balance sheet and growth in the business. For a company of its size, we have a monitor on it. Brett reviews the current operations and look at the biz- looks at the business from a fundamental perspective. Finally, Brennan pays, uh, plays closer this week, answering a viewer question on Nutrient Limited, symbol NTR in the New York Stock Exchange, the world's largest provider of crop inputs and services, producing and distributing approximately 27 million tons of potash, nitrogen, and phosphate products worldwide. A volatile business based off underlying commodity pricing, Nutrient's share price had a tough 2023 as pricing in its segments were lower across the board. Brennan lets you know if the share price drop is an opportunity or not. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Well. How are you good? Doing? How was the conference yesterday? I'm good, yeah. I was uh, in Vancouver for, like I said here, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. You see that? I'm a very important speaker at the event. Uh, I just like to highlight that right now. I'm kidding. But yeah, no, it was it, it was a good event. Uh, we've done it off and on over the years. Uh, I think this year was... Uh, probably busier, particularly in the speaker's rooms than I've seen it in several years, which is a good thing. And we had some good interaction with uh, a couple of clients that were at the event and then some potential clients going forward. So interesting. Um, you know, I just gave a brief perspective on 
on how to build a simple portfolio, where we think some of the opportunities in the market are today, the kind of bifurcation between the multiples on large caps versus small caps. And then um, the, uh, and I just uh, recommended three or four companies at the event. Uh, I gave a couple sort of quasi resource related company recommendations because when in Rome, why not do that at that event? And then some, uh, a software related company that I talked about at the event as well. So it was decent. And uh, I got to see a few people from the industry that I want to talk to and others that I want to avoid with a 10 foot pole. So that's just the same as every event, really. Will you say any names? (laughs) Just kidding. No. Well, you weren't there, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that it's funny it's that uh, you, you still have your badge on because, I mean, that's just a typical whenever we Hey, go I just conf- came back. I walk in the door. I mean, the conference can be over for a couple of I'm weeks. I'm going to be weighing this, wearing this for three weeks. Exactly. Because like every single time we're in Vegas, you know, we kind of like leave the, the conference hotel and I always want to like take mine off. And I'm like, oh, why do I have this big clumpy thing well, around me all the time? At this point, I just wear it so Brennan gets annoyed. <laughs> That's why yeah, I'm doing. I think so. Ryan think you do that know it makes that. him look cool. That's that's my yeah, guess. Right? So. Everybody's like, oh, well, yeah, this cool. definitely <laughs> makes me look cool. <laughs> must be something. In, in Vegas, though, I think everybody has yeah. one on. It's also so I don't forget my name, right? Because I look down. Oh yeah, good, good point. Although, like when you're at those events and somebody isn't wearing one, the worst thing I know is like we meet, you know, hundreds of people at these events all the time, and then you know you should know that person's name because you've talked to them like 15 times and then they're not wearing their badge and you're wearing your badge and they're like, Ryan, and I'm like, you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it happens all the yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of people I'm horrible with conferences. That. I can remember the, the stock symbol and the business they're in, but their name, for God's sake, I have no Just call them no by the company they're that they're in. It's true. Hey, That's XMZ true. Mining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, no, so the, the conference was enjoyable. And I, I'm really actually looking forward to the World Outlook Conference, which is uh, coming up this weekend or uh, to a week from now. What, what day is today here? What are we on the 23rd? So not this weekend, the week after, right? Yeah, on the 2nd on the of February. Of February. Week and a half away. 3rd and 4th, right? Isn't it? 2nd uh, and 3rd. I don't know. Something like that. The 2nd and 3rd. It's at the Weston Bay Shore in Vancouver. Aaron, do you know what time we're speaking? Yeah, I think that it is. You do. Uh, it is Thank on the God. Saturday, so Saturday, February the third, and we are speaking at three fifteen. Is is the slot that we've got right now? Three fifteen keynote presentation at twenty twenty four World Outlook Small Cap and Income Stock X. So, yeah. So every year we go there, we stick our necks out, uh, give uh, you know three or four individual picks from each of us from. Uh, I'll be looking at some of the uh, smaller cap growth oriented companies. Aaron will look at some dividend growth stocks and probably maybe one or two U.S. as well. I don't think we've finalized what we're recommending. We usually uh, go right right ahead of the event. Uh, we have an idea what we'll be looking at at the event, but it is it's a well attended event, um, and and I encourage you. Like I'd love to see any of our current clients at the event if you're in town. Uh, love to shake uh, shake your hand, kiss some babies, maybe. But seriously, no. see too many babies at the World Outlook. (laughs) Just Brennan. He's always there every year, right? (laughs) It's tiring. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I never say that. (laughs) No, no, I'm kidding. But but if you're a current client or looking to become a client, um, all four of us, all four of these idiots will be at the event. Uh, We have a booth there. We'd love to see you in person. You're going to make people show up now. Well, that's true. Actually, this is a negative. People have just literally taken their tickets, ripped them up. Mm-hmm. I need a, a refund. Be there. I'm but, not going to go. <laughs> crap. 
I don't blame him. No, but if uh, I think in the video, if you're watching it too, we'll place a link there where you can go and uh, get tickets to the event. We'd love to see you there uh, and see if, if you're an existing client, talk about your portfolio, see what we can do within your portfolio to help you build that simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio. Okay. Um, is there anything else we want to talk about in the markets today? We've got busy four questions to answer. Is yeah. there anything going on? Well, you got a box I in front of you, don't you? Oh, oh, I was gonna, I was doing, uh, yeah. We we have plenty going on with individual stocks as well. So, oh well, that's the most important. Thing yes, going on the market. Mm-hmm. This is the most for anybody who's watching right now. I'm holding or not still waiting for mine. Obviously, <laughs> they just came in. These are our new Keystone mugs, and I think we plan. I'm unboxing here. This is what Ooh. they do on the internet. The kids these days. He's not wrong. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh, what is this? Oh. All right. So this is a Keystone mug. And I believe we're going to be giving these away uh, for some of the best in the mic. your stock R takes. Oh. What? Tap on it for yeah. some ASMR for us. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. They have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, I know. Because nice. my daughter watches that all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So there we go. I like this on the back. Although now... Since Howland Power keeps going through the roof, this is... Oh, you can't even read that. Are we going to reorder the mugs? No, I'll I put a picture. Yeah. Anyways, it talks about on the back, I think it says Hammond Power, HPS.A, put my kids slash boat through college up 14,000%. Um, so we, we put a little fun thing on the back. But yeah, we're going to give away some of these mugs. Look at them. They're beautiful mugs. Here's your... ASMR. You got <laughs> wow. Well done. Hello. I think you need now, to no new one new wants this mug. You will not be getting this mug. Yes. Uh, anyways, we'll be giving them away from some of the best your stock our take or best questions that we get throughout the year. Uh, there's a number of them. As you can see, we have two. That's it. So and I'm just kidding. We have a, a bunch of them. So we'll give them away throughout the year. And we will have some at our booth at the World Outlook. And this is so, a limited time offer, right? It's a limited time offer. It expires in 10 minutes. <laughs> All right. We, we, Aaron's got to get the hell out of here. So we, we got to finish. We got to get right to it. Aaron's going to talk about, I thought he was talking about Algoma Steel, but it's Algoma Central. I was going to open with that, actually. Yes. That Ryan oh, sent me sorry. a bunch of I research. All your thunder. I was going to talk about Algoma Central. He sent me yeah, a bunch I, of research I, on Algoma Steel. I spent four hours researching the company, sent you over a report, and it was the wrong Basically company. wrote all my slides for me. Yes, yeah, true. Yeah. No, but so note to listeners, these are two completely different companies, Algoma Steel, yes. Algoma Central, which I'm talking about. Don't make the same mistake that Ryan made. That would be really embarrassing. Yes. Uh, okay, I'm very let's, embarrassed. Uh, right let, let's, let's get so into this. Thank you, though, for sending some research out <laughs> <laughs> good okay so algoma central so this is an interesting company for a number of reasons why don't we just go over some of the basic facts so algoma central corporation alc again not to be confused with the steel company it's uh, trading at a stock price right now of 15 dollars, just under a 600 million market cap company and it has a yield of 5.1 percent so what they are is they're a marine transportation logistics company They actually operate the largest fleet on the Great Lakes, St. Lawrence Seaway. And their fleet consists of 18, according to the company description, 18 bolt dry um, vessels, uh, as well as another seven uh, product tankers. And they also own a 50% interest in 
what appears to be like a uh, uh, vessel pool, um, which operates internationally. So owns and operates ocean self unloading dry bulk vessels, um, owning interests in these in these vessels. So this is really a, this is ongoing research in Algoma Central. One thing I, I was going to mention as well is that we're in the process of putting together our 2024 Keystone's Canadian Dividend All-Star Report. So we're lo- we look at every dividend paying company across Canada. Specifically, we're really looking at companies that are growing their dividends as well. And Algoma is a company which for various reasons that I'll talk about, it screens relatively well, not on all metrics, but on some. So it is, uh, th- this is research in process. Uh, if we look at their uh, company presentation, it states they have interest in 84 vessels operating globally, 13 vessels under construction. So um, many of these must be partial interests uh, in, in vessels, um, given that they had listed their fully owned vessels in their in their company description. But this is something that we clarify with management when we talk to them. So Looking at the 12-month stock chart, not great performance, uh, you know, down a little bit. Started started the period at about $16.40, down at about $15 now. If we look at a five-year stock chart, you know, not really much has happened even over the last five years. Um, quite flat for a period of time. So let, let's just see what's going on with the company in terms of the financial performance. So a Q3 2023 financial highlight. So fairly lackluster quarter here. Um, Revenue was up 3.3%. Adjusted operating income was down 5%. Uh, adjusted operating margin down 170 basis points. And then adjusted EPS down about 16%. So this is actually off of a very strong year of financial performance in 2022. Now, we all remember the the supply chain issues uh, that, the, that the world was encountering in 2022. A lot of the transportation companies were making huge money during this period of time. Um, but really the last three, four years, the company has done relatively well financially. But when we break the Q3 numbers apart, we can see here that their domestic dry bulk fleet, which really produces the vast majority of their segment earnings, they it, it did it did relatively well. It was up, up about 16.1%, um, whereas the product tankers fleet was down 70% and the ocean self unloaders was down about 40%. So it was these two smaller segments of the business that were really impacting financial results. The core business seems to continue to be uh, performing very well, but even these smaller, these smaller segments, they can, they can have an impact when, when the declines are, are so extreme. Talk a little bit on, on management commentary. So one of the things that impacted the financial results in October, there was a, a work stoppage uh, that led to an eight-day closure of the Seaway. So this caused significant delays for the domestic bulk, dry bulk fleet. Um, in spite of that, this segment of the business actually still performed relatively well. Uh, looking forward, the company is anticipating steady demand for product tankers for the rest of the year. Um, so that would be Q4. Um, although energy markets are expected to be con- continue to be volatile. The international business uh, faces tight supply right now and steady volumes in certain sectors, but the ongoing global economic and geopolitical challenges are expected to put negative pressure on rates. And just recently, um, about a week ago, actually, in, in January of this year, the company announced an acquisition of two uh, two. 2009 built product tankers from Norway shipping. 
So looking at the balance sheet here, good solid balance sheet, about $384 million in debt, $760 million in equity. Uh, the leverage ratios look good. Debt to equity about 1.8 times, debt to, sorry, debt to EBITDA about 1.8 times, debt to equity of 0.5. So I would consider this to be quite a healthy balance sheet, especially considering that this is a capital intensive business. So there's a lot of money you have to invest in the ships to buy the ships. Uh, a lot of times companies that operate in these types of industries will actually have more leverage on the balance sheet. So I like what I'm seeing on the balance sheet. Um, in terms of analyst estimates and valuation, earnings are expected to decline about 26% for the full year of 2023 and then grow about 7% next year. Now, I am gonna, I am gonna provide a, a caveat here. This is based off of one analyst estimate. So as far as I can tell, there's only one analyst uh, covering the company, at least that are in included in these estimates. So you really have to take this with a grain of salt, although these numbers seem to be more or less in line with what the company is, is um, trending towards right now. So when we look at these earnings figures, we can see stock is trading at about eight times current year's earnings and eight times next year's earnings as well. So this is quite cheap. Um, what we're looking at here is you know a potential value play. Now, I don't have the charts for the long-term historic financial performance, but what I can say the company went through three, four years of good, solid growth in earnings and revenue. Uh, the period before that, there, there's more up and down, a lot of volatility, but they have been investing into growth, adding new tankers to their fleet, expanding the business geographically. Um, so what I'm seeing here is, you know, this can be somewhat of a cyclical business, especially their their international and their, their product tanker segments. Um, but what I really find interesting about the company, when I mentioned originally that it did score well or screen well for our dividend research on a couple of metrics, um, one of those metrics is really historic dividends. So while there has been some cyclicality in the financial performance over time, like say over the last decade, the company is consistently profitable. It's consistently putting out dividends. Um, so over the past five years, the company is growing their dividend every year except for 2022, but they've also they also routinely issue a lot of special dividends. So if you add the special dividends um, and the regular dividends, Algoma has paid out about 774 in dividends to its shareholders just over the last five years. And of course, that dividend likely will continue to grow over time as they invest in their business. So this is uh, this is over half of the of the current share price. So that that's quite impressive. Um, a lot of, you know, obviously this is an essential sector providing uh, transportation of goods um, and they have strong competitive advantages, particularly in the Great Lakes area, um, but they're producing a lot of free cash flow and they've really shown a willingness to deliver that free cash flow back to back to investors. So what I'm looking at with a company like this, this is not a consistent growth story where you're going to get big growth number, numbers year over year over year. Over time, we would expect to see the revenues and the earnings trend higher. Um, but what this looks like to me is more of a value play, you know, good, solid, profitable, consistently profitable business with a little bit of growth over time, a solid balance sheet and returning a lot of capital to shareholders. So for a long-term income investor, this, this could be something to consider. Any comments? It's interesting. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, that return of capital over the last five years is tremendous. It looks like they had a boom probably in 2020 um, where they, they, they probably made some windfall cash uh, during the pandemic period. 
uh, but or, or they had or maybe they built up some cash, but that was a huge payout in 2020. This past year, a strong payout as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you could forecast that type of payout over the next five years, then based on then, the, then it's know, a no the tremendous yeah. dividend, yeah, it would be. Yeah, but you know, I think that would be very difficult, and it's probably unlikely that they're able to pay that much out over the next five years. But you know, it it it. If it's cash that's there, it's shown the ability and shown the willingness to pay it out. And then it still has a decent balance sheet now, right? Yeah. I mean, about a third of that 774 was paid out in one year as a special dividend. Yeah. Yeah. Over a third, actually. So yeah, you you could definitely make the point, you know, you wouldn't want to bet on the idea that they're going to pay out that exact same amount. But as the company grows over time, they're obviously focused on returning a lot of cash flow to shareholders. So while it might not be you know, half of the company share price, it could still be a significant payout. So. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's move on. Cause we've got three more companies to go over today. Let's start. All right. We're looking at SSC security services corp symbol S E C U on the TSX. They recently appeared in one of our uh, larger reports, our Canadian small cap cash rich profitable company report. The symbol is S. ECU on the TSX, like I said, trades around $2.75, but a $53 million market cap, 4.29% dividend. Uh, SSC is the largest publicly traded security company in Canada. It's debt-free, has approximately 3,000 employees from coast to coast. The company provides primarily physical security, 85 to 90% of the business. Electronic security, about 5%. Cyber security, 5 to 6%. Uh, services to corporate and public sector clients via two wholly owned subsidiaries. Now, SSC was previously known as Input Capital Corp., which was founded in 2011 as an agricultural commodity streaming company providing several flexible and competitive forms of financing, which helped Western Canadian farmers solve working capital mortgage financing and canola marketing challenges and improve the financial positions of their farms. On February 1st, 2021, Input acquired SRG Security Resource Group, Inc. as a platform for growth in the cyber and physical security businesses in Canada. On September 14th, 2021, Input announced that it would change its name from Input Capital Corp. to SSC Security Services Corp. and consolidated its common shares. Today, SSC's agricultural commodity streaming business is known as its legacy business and consists of agricultural real estate assets held for sale, including farmland mortgages. The legacy business's book is shrinking rapidly due to farmer buyouts via refinancing. The maximum term right now is in the range of less than eight months. The company is collecting accounts and making slow but steady progress, turning assets to work cash Uh, working through the legal system. As SSC continues to wind down its remaining legacy assets, we expect that those cash flows will be allocated to uh, from the legacy assets. They'll be reallocated to the security services portion of the business. Let's look at the recent financials. Good growth here in revenues up 125%. EBITDA 180. EPS uh, really just flat there. Uh, there's uh, the increase in revenues was primarily due to the acquisition of Logics and the inclusion of Logics revenue starting on June 1st, 2022. Sequentially, revenue increased by about 5.2%, primarily as a result of seasonality. Adjusted EBITDA was about a million or five cents per share, up from uh, 400,000 in that range or two cents per share. Net profit for the 
for the period, the nine month period, I believe it was just about 200,000 or uh, around one cent per share. Uh, as opposed to in the same nine month period last year, it was basically break even uh, in that period. Now, growth plans ahead for this business, the security uh, business, it's highly fragmented in Canada. According to Statistics Canada, there are over 2,700 companies providing some form of physical security services in country. Many of these are small owner operated businesses with a tier. There's also a tier of mid-sized and larger, uh, better capitalized companies. And opportunity to use here, there's an opportunity here to use SSC's balance sheet to grow into a solid, well-capitalized, profitable and growing security platform. The strategy is to deploy the company's balance sheet into growth via acquisition and organic opportunities in the physical and cybersecurities industries. The plan over the next three to five years is to grow the business to the range of 200 to 300 million in annual revenues. Valuations right now, SSC currently trades with a 12-month EV to EBITDA of around 10, a price to sales of 0.52. Uh, these are relatively fair in our opinion right now, and but they could progress lower as the revenues build and profitability could increase over the next year. So our take here, our conclusion, SSC is an intriguing, albeit low margin business that holds a strong balance sheet. About 20 to 23% of its market cap is in cash. As the company continues to convert its legacy assets into cash, the company's cash balance should help SSC make further potential accretive acquisitions. SSC is, again, a low margin business with an adjusted EBITDA margin in the last period, Q3, of 3.8%, which is, again, very low. Management has stated that the business should progress to the range of uh, 5% in terms of EBITDA over the near term. It has the potential to move slightly higher than this over the long term and could give the business some decent profitability within this sector, relatively speaking. And it would help the company build cash as revenues are predicted, predicted to be significantly higher over the next three years. We are not opposed to investing in quality, low margin businesses if they check off uh, all the boxes, essentially, that we're looking for. Uh, and SSC does check off a few boxes, including no debt, cash rich, low value, well, me fair valuations, and it has above average growth from those acquisitions. Now, the margin profile, though, is what we kind of get hung up on here. It's well under 5%. Adjusted EBITDA for us, in our opinion, is too low to be investable in the near term. If we saw an improved margin profile, cash accumulation, and some better organic growth, uh, we would consider SSC. Uh, at present, we just monitor the business and think the valuations are just fair right now. We would reassess if we saw higher margins over the long term. And best part, it's uh, from their headquarters is in Regina, Saskatchewan. <laughs> of course, I always have yes. to bring that in. Um, but no, what your, I would your actually... favorite place on earth, Regina. <laughs> no, actually, Saskatchewan. Favorite thing on earth is, um, is, is Regina. But uh, I guess you could say that. But no, uh, yes. in, in all reality... I just um, did. Oh... <laughs> uh, um, but no, in, in reality, like Ryan was saying, though, it, it's such a low margin business. So we ended up writing up a report on SSC, as well as um, Avante Logics, who is now called Avante Corp. And we've been monitoring them for some time because they ended up selling their division logic security with two SSC, to SSC which is what Ryan was talking about, you know, um, uh, in, you know, his uh, little presentation there. So like just to show 
you know, how low the margins were with the Logic Security business, which Avante sold to SSC. So this is Avant, this is Avante Corp's financial statements. Uh, in fiscal year 2021, when they still had Logic Security, their gross margin was about 23%. Well, jump to fiscal year 2022, when they no longer had that business, their gross margin jumped to, you know, about 43%. So it's up substantially. Um, but, you know, maybe I should do my own piece on Avante. But the one thing that we're seeing with Avante as well um, is, you know, we're seeing those gross margins increase, which is good, but we're still failing to see them get an operating margin. They're still losing money there. Um, so we've talked to both businesses. Um, and, and like Ryan said, they both screen well. Um, but, you know, just there's there's still some things that we're, we're hung up on before we would uh, recommend them to clients. Yeah, again, and we're not absolutely opposed to owning a low margin business. Um, you know, as long as it's making good cash, builds that cash over time, can return capital, which SSC is doing. But uh, we, you know, there's, I'm not going to say the name of this company, but there's another company that we consider relatively low margin. It's in the 8 to 10% uh, margin or profitability range. And it, it like, this is, not half that it's almost a third that you know so i mean in, in that case it you know it is on the lower end the lowest end really that we'd be looking at if you can bring it up above five percent it's something we might consider if they can continue to generate cash use that cash to continue to invest back and grow the business via acquisition so compound that cash over time it may be a company that we'd look at we'd just like to see it at least get up to the five percent plus range the really interesting thing about this company is how they're shifting from that legacy business, though, yeah. which was completely unrelated. Was, it was what was it again? Was it corn futures? Yeah, well, it's farm, a, farm agriculture yeah, futures. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's and they, you know, the, it is a completely separate business. Mm -hmm. I, I believe we interviewed management. The management team, uh, the CEO, has background in the security industry so it, it's it's good that you know that is his background and to be honest the, the interview he's very competent seemed like uh you know a reasonable guy knew what he was doing in the sector and then you know fully aware of the margin profile and trying to bring that up over time so it's certainly like when we screen through 3500 companies you know it, it made it down to you know the 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 forty the fifty that were in that report after thirty five hundred companies. So it screens well in a number of areas. But yeah, they certainly went from one area to a different area. But uh, you know if they can consolidate it and use that cash to uh, to potentially uh, grow within that industry, uh, and eventually uh, you know, a company like this potentially could be an acquisition target. Now we'd never buy a company just because it's an acquisition target. But uh, you know if you get to the two three hundred uh, even $400 million range in terms of revenue, uh, there are some larger security firms that may want to pick you off at that point. So it is an interesting company, pays that dividend that we're looking at right now. Just bring those margins up. They're never going to have, like, a, this is never going to be a high margin business. It just isn't in that sector. You can't have that, but, you know, you can certainly bring it up from where they were in Q3. And if they do that, then it's uh, worth a second look once again. We're always monitoring these companies. All right, let's let's get through to our next company, Brett. This actually came from the same report that I'm talking uh, about for SSC, our Canadian Cash Rich Profitable Small Cap Report. Uh, it is Air IQ, an interesting small nano cap company, really a nano cap company, but you know, good balance sheet, good growth, and uh, Brett, Brett's gonna take a look at. Them. Yeah, so it was in our uh, 
our small or cash rich small cap report, which was out in December. Yes, it is. Our cash rich report um, is normally what we'll call it. Um, and that's what I'm going to go with. But we got some questions on it uh, over the last couple of weeks in our weekly chat. So sign up and you can uh, talk to these clowns every week. I, it is worth. No, great details. And it's always something worth uh, if you want more details on our coverage, of course, as much as we joke about talking to them. But a couple of follow-up questions, so I thought I'd really highlight it on the show. So, AirIQ, symbol IQ on the TSX Venture, provides wireless asset management and location services in Canada. The company also develops and operates telematic asset management system by digitized mapping, wireless communications, internet, and the global positioning system, GPS. Its web-based platform provides fleet operators and vehicle owners with a suite of asset management solutions to monitoring, management, and protect their assets. The stock is currently trading at 49 cents in a market cap of 14.5 million, up a whopping 88% over the past year. So a quick look at their last quarter, Q223, ending September 30th, so it's shifted a quarter. Total revenue increased 15% to 1.35 million from 1.17 million. Recurring revenue, the great kind of revenue, increased 13% to 1.08 million from 958,000. The company recognizes the recurring revenue as the software service versus the non-recurring is their hardware sales. So roughly in line with growth, their gross profit increased by 14% to 804,000 from 708,000. And net income, unfortunately, came down to 182,000 from 282,000, a drop of 35%. But this is largely due to significant foreign exchange in the prior year. So the Hard comparable since they had just a luck of the draw gain in their foreign exchange in the prior year, and they obviously didn't have that this year. Additionally, the company has a great large cash position of $3 million, or a net cash position of $0.10 cents per share, which is obviously a great plus. But I will say uh, I couldn't find any usage, potential uses of cash that the management highlights in any of their disclosures. And if we were to go forward with this company, that would be something we would call and ask them about because it represents a fifth of their market cap, that being the cash. So in the question that one of the questions we were asked about is they asked specifically about the taxes boosting their earnings, which that occurred in Q4 of the prior year. So when you're doing a trailing valuation of the last 12 months, uh, you obviously use the uh, end of the previous year when you're in Q2. So that's why we're looking at this financial statement now. So you can see in this that there's a deferred uh, income tax recovery for 2.8 million, which for a company valued at 14 and a half million is obviously massive. So where does this come from? If you look at the next uh, next to the line item, there it says we can look at note 14. So you end up going down there. You'll scroll down there or control F, which is a great tool if you're looking at income statements or financial statements at that. So you look at their deferred tax asset and you can see it's coming from them recognizing unrecognized, previously unrecognized tax credits, which really what that means is the accountants now believe that previously unrecognized tax credits, which they did not previously expect to be used, are now likely to be able to be used. Ultimately, the uh, benefit really just comes down to accounting expectations, which are a forecast, which is why you end up getting these large adjustments, normally in Q4, as that's when they're going through their full year's audited financials. And the management will obviously push, oh, we want to recognize this, push our earnings up, make it look good. And then you'll probably have the accountants push back. No, you're being too aggressive. That's normally the case. They want to recognize as much as they can. Not saying that it's bad or anything. It's just the reality. <laughs> 
As well, you can see here they have an additional unrecognized differences of 29.6 million, which the company did not recognize during this quarter. You'd have that against whatever tax rate for each of the individual items. So it's all, be around that 26.5% if they were able to recognize all of that. It depends on the line item as they have different tax rates. So it gets more complicated than just applying a flat rate against it all. But they weren't able to recognize that. That means the accountants weren't able to see, hey, you're going to be able to realize these tax credits in your current state under their current models. So that could end up changing in the future. You could actually have a rollback of their current benefit as well if their outlook changed negatively. So the next part of the question is, how does this impact valuation and how do you deal with that? As far as earnings go, when you want to compare with other companies, you need to at least normalize it a bit. As the ta large tax recognition for the quarter, if you would want to normalize it as if it didn't exist. Not to say that tax benefits aren't a positive, but it's just for comparative valuations. So if you remove the tax benefit from the valuation, the price to earnings is 17 times compared to the unadjusted PE of four times. So that's quite a difference, a four times difference as their earnings were roughly four times as big. So with this adjustment, as well as the company isn't, they aren't deducting taxes from the earnings. So that's really where you're seeing it. So this would be equivalent to earnings before tax for a company that would actually be paying taxes as they just lower their deferred tax asset each time that they're, instead of paying the tax or recognizing that on their income statement instead of just having a lump sum of recognition like you saw in Q4 2022. And of course, you can look at other valuation measures like price cash flow, which in this case is nine times, but then that can actually be influenced by cash flow lumpiness, which did actually happen with AIQ. I believe it was in their uh, first quarter, they actually had quite a big increase just because of working capital changes. And you get that quite often in cash flow. That's why it's something which you need to be worrying about when you're looking at cash flow or other valuation metrics and that's really what the whole point of the accounting system is trying to smooth that out then it can create other issues like you saw here but for actual commentary on the valuation it's getting quite expensive given they've had lumpy growth seen in recent years due to their hardware sales being quite volatile as well as working off a small base of revenue so you should expect higher growth when you're dealing with a small base as one or two sales can increase growth dramatically versus if you're a multi-billion dollar company, you need to have that entire force behind it. And that's why you don't see those percentages as often for larger companies, even in the same industry. As well, gross profit isn't going directly to the bottom line as SGNA has risen alongside revenue. So you're not seeing that hockey stick economies of scale like you will start to see in some nano cap companies and that's really what you love to see but that's not what we're seeing in this case at least so far that i'm not saying that can't happen in the future but they aren't seeing that economies of scale as well as the company is a nano cap the trading volumes on the stock are quite low even for an individual investor some days it actually only will trade a few hundred dollars on its very low end and then on the bigger days you might have something like twenty five thirty thousand dollars worth of the shares trading so obviously, even for smaller investments, you can move the market on your own. And as well as the bid-ask spreads, when I checked earlier, it was about a $0.05 cent spread, which is about 10% of the stock value, which is quite large. So you really need a price in that uh, liquidity premium into these companies as well. That being said, small investors can potentially use this volatility as you can, if you're just putting an order in for, let's say, a few hundred shares, you're just taking it a toehold into it, you can actually get those failed quite a bit lower as if someone dumps a big shit, a lot of shares onto the market, it will shoot the price down. And that's something which is all obviously you want to watch for in these nano caps. So concluding, it's always good to see a nano cap with strong balance sheet growth, 
but the growth is volatile and it's not quite hitting the bottom line to the degree you would really love to see quite yet. As well, the company is scaling their recurring revenue at about 15% or so each year, which is great to see, but it's not absurdly high, but it's not low either. So valuations are a bit on the high side, I would say at this time. I would like to see either higher uh, earnings or a lower price to really jump into the stock. As well, don't get sucked in to low valuation when you look up on Yahoo, Seek Alpha, or any of those other websites. You'll see normally either adjusted earnings, but with these uh, nano caps, they normally don't have coverage. So you'll just see the straight gap earnings. Within this case, you'll be seeing about a 3.9 PE when it's really just that tax benefit quadrupling their earnings in reality. So watch out for that. But for now, we'll really continue to monitor this company. Yeah, and and I think what you you said there at the end, you know, watch out for just looking at the headline PE number that is not adjusted on this. Uh, and it's no fault to the company or anything. That's the, the, what they have to report. But when you have you know a normalized PE of around seventeen trailing, and then uh, what's reported at four, uh, don't buy it because you think it's four and and growing where it's growing right now. This is a you know again a good balance sheet, uh, good you know has that recurring base of growth. Uh, would love to see more growth. We always love to see more growth, but I think you know it's it's more fairly valued now than uh, and an a striking undervalued company. It's certainly not trading at four or five times earnings. It's trading at around seventeen times, uh, you know, sixteen to seventeen times normalized, and uh, that's about fair value for a company uh, that uh, you know has a good recurring base, but it's really quite small. You know, under six million in annualized revenues right now. So I think it's fair value, and uh, I think investors have been rewarded in it for over the past year, and I think they're you know it's trading about where it should rate at this point. You know, if it became significantly cheaper, maybe we'd look at it. But again, you the caveat there would be, you know, you can't buy a ton. Like if we recommended to our entire client base and everybody started buying, it would probably get rid of that advantage right away. So it's one. If you are in our client base, you're watching it and it became significantly cheaper because the overall market was doing poorly and this business continued to operate as it is now and grew at a, a good rate. You know, it's one that we could we could look at over the long term. Right now, I think you did a great job summarizing how the company has a tax kind of benefit affecting earnings trailing. That's going to come off uh, uh, shortly and, and then you're going to see, you know, the, the trailing PEB more. Uh, on a normalized basis. And you did a great job with uh, the tip uh, control F or command F. Honestly, as an analyst, I'm using that like 20, 30, 40 times a day when I'm going through financial statements constantly to, to help me find things. I don't know how they did it back in the day. <laughs> back in the day, we read reports like <laughs> the full, the full there was report. no internet to be honest at no, one point. Course, uh, I'm going to order the annual report. Yep. Warren Buffett used to look yeah, through exactly. literally annual reports. Can you imagine? Pretty nice. Crazy, looking right? for specific Lots of paper cuts. Or, yeah, it's true. Oh my God. Lots of, eh, that's, that, that would be, that would be a different process. Although probably easier to find anomalies if this you're, is true. you're the one ordering those and no one else is doing it. It's still though, like that's how we find companies today. Like there are still very few analysts really going through like all 3,500 companies in Canada. Um, it is a very scant few that are going through that. Uh, some of them that work for, you know, brokerages, big banks, they're going through the ones that need capital and it's a different process. It's not really to find the best valuations. It's to find the right company that they can make money doing a financing through. But I digress. Let's get this show on the road. Brennan, yep. 
you're ending our show with some other company. What's it called? Uh, from, what are we doing, Brennan? I know you're doing Nutrient. From Saskatoon. Literally, Brennan has the entire Saskatchewan market covered, no. and that's his <laughs> coverage like, universe right there. Yeah. That's all he does. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah. When are we getting the Saskatoon service in? <sighs> I don't know if ever. What about the Saskatoon index? How, yeah, I can't believe you haven't created that. <laughs> no, and I never will. Uh, anyways I, I, now the listeners probably want i'm to, sure the so. the two listeners that we have from saskatchewan it's um <laughs> anyways. Two hundred thousand. yeah okay so um we we got a question on youtube um and the the individual said it would be interesting to get your thoughts on nutrien on its recent pullback um so nutrien ntr on the tsx as well as ntr on the new york stock exchange uh, currently trading at a price of $69.82 Canadian, uh, about $34 billion market cap and a dividend yield of about 4%. Uh, so Nutrien is the world's largest provider of crop inputs and services, playing a critical role in helping growers increase food production in a sustainable manner. And they produce and distribute uh, approximately 27 million tons of potash, nitrogen and phosphate products worldwide. And they have six potash mines in Saskatchewan. So I actually covered Nutrien uh, back at the beginning of 2022 on the podcast when the stock traded at about $110 per share uh, and with a forward price to adjusted EPS multiple of about five times and an EV to EBITDA of about four times, again, forward, uh, based off of management's fiscal year 2022 guidance provided in May of 2022. And in that conclusion from 2022, I said, if one believes Nutrient's management is right, and that the supply demand picture will remain tight for the next few years, elevating fertilizer prices, I believe there is a reasonable case to be made that the company could offer value over the next two to five years. And again, this is based on if you trust um, you know, management's uh, outlook on the market. But of course, throughout 2022, the company lowered its initial guidance in August and then again in November because product potash prices were declining and nat gas costs were elevated uh, and the market wasn't as tight as uh, management uh, once thought. And just to show here, you know, this is the price of potash uh, per metric ton. I just thought that I'd pull it up quickly. So where are we today? So looking at the recent financial results for Q3 of 2023, uh, keep in mind the results are in US dollars. So revenues were 5.6 billion, a decrease of 31% uh, over Q3 of 2022. Uh, and this was due to lower net realized selling prices across all segments. Uh, adjusted EPS was 35 cents per share, down 86% year over year, and adjusted EBITDA was down 56% year over year. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, as at September 30th, 2023, uh, they had net debt of about $13.2 and a trailing net debt to EBITDA multiple of a, just under two times. If we look forward, it's actually maybe just slightly above uh, two times. Um, and I also have up on my screen here the company's fiscal year 2023 guidance, uh, which is projecting adjusted EPS of at the midpoint of 457 per share and adjusted EBITDA of about 6.1 million or billion, sorry, uh, which represents a decline of about 65% in adjusted EPS for the year. Uh, and looking forward to the rest of 2022, uh, the company uh, trades at about 11 times forward adjusted EPS and with a forward EV to EBITDA multiple of about six times. 
So to conclude on Nutrient, fundamentally, I think that it is a good business. Uh, the company has been returning capital to shareholders through its dividend and share buybacks, uh, paying a nice yield of over 4%, and the trailing payout ratio uh, of adjusted earnings is about 35%. Um, the company has long-term targets of growing potash sales to 18 million tons by 2027, and their nitrogen division to 13.5 million tons by 2027. Uh, they're also looking to use automation to uh, you know, help um, increase the efficiency uh, for potash. I mean, we'll see if how quick that translates, uh, or if it actually helps at all. Um, the company has just about lapped its tough comparable financial results from when potash prices were elevated. And it currently trades with reasonable multiples to fiscal year 2023 guidance, in my opinion, uh, the balance sheet remains healthy. Uh, and, you know, management expects a tighter potash market in 2024. However, you know, Note that at the beginning of 2022, management was also projecting a tight potash market for the next few years, you know, yet, we saw that uh, not come uh, to truth. Um, so overall, you know, while uh, we may continue to see some weaker quarters ahead in the near future, I think that a contrarian investor who is bullish on potash in general could speculate on a long-term position. You know, the company has been increasing its production volume, but I say speculate as, you know, you've heard us say this so many times, as if potash prices increase, the stock will likely do well. If potash doesn't do well, the stock will likely continue to suffer. You know, I really think that 2022 was a good case study to look at as management was projecting a tight potash market for the for a few years, but ended up revising guidance lower several times when their market projections ended up being wrong uh, and the price of potash began to collapse. Um, so good company, but, you know, it's definitely some speculation based on the commodity risk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we detail this on a weekly basis is certainly each month we answer questions on commodity based businesses. We operate in Canada and the markets are kind of saturated with these businesses and, and you know, Nutrien's a good company. If you look at the revenue growth over the long term, excellent. Uh, predicting where the stock will be in a given year or two, three year period is very difficult because even when, uh, you know, management who should know the business better than almost anybody is predicting a tight market. Uh, you can have it completely go the opposite in a given year. And then the company has, you know, an 80% drop in net income and the share price just performs, you know, very poorly over that period. Uh, very difficult when, you know, the management team is, and I'm not even saying they're doing a bad job here. It's difficult for them to forecast, but they're forecasting one thing and it goes the complete opposite way. And they're revising lower guidance within a year. That's how tough it is to forecast that business. That's why it's very difficult within a given year to forecast where cash flows will be. That's why it makes it difficult because we price stocks off their cash flow going forward. It's very difficult to uh, put a fair value on a company like this. Yeah. Get questions on them all the time, but it's very difficult to value them. Yeah. One thing to be honest that I would like to say as well is like, if you do look in their uh, MDNA, <laughs> Um, they've got like a price sensitivity. So, you know, just showing how much oh, yeah. EPS or adjusted EPS <laughs> might change based on the commodity price. So, you know, you can kind of try to see what your upside or your downside is based on this uh, as well. Mm -hmm. um, but sorry, Brett, did I cut you off there? Yeah, I, I was just going to comment on the really big thing about commodity uh, companies, which you need to watch out for is how much of it is just really comes down to is how much is out of management's hands, no matter yeah. what they do. So in this case, it was what caused their big big increase in uh, 2022 was the Ukraine war. That's what caused potash to go up. And obviously it's effectively new ground for them to forecast. Even they don't know 
how sanctions are going to go and how the really the new supply network is going to work out. And that's what it, it comes down to is these big macro events can just completely obliterate you in a commodity market. And it yeah. obviously did in this case. Exactly. And just in, in completely impossible to predict. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and those, those events are, have a huge effect on the business. And then it's also difficult even after it's happened to predict the lasting effect of it because everybody thought, well, this is going to go on for three, four or five years. And, you know, you had a spike in prices then a, precip- a precipitous drop in prices. Yeah, so, and that's the thing and, where and that we have talked before, you have taught us that, you know, when you're looking at some of these commodity-based businesses, it's almost like counter-cyclical when the valuation is getting really low, that might not technically be the time that you want to buy it because commodity prices are potentially high. Um, again, like it's it's tough to gauge. For sure, which which is difficult for us to then invest in because we're looking at cash flow and, and the best time to invest in them was when they have negative cash yes. flow, potentially, right? Like I've seen people play that in the past, but you're making more of a bet than, uh, or an educated guess more than, uh, you know, re- just looking at the numbers behind the business and projecting a growth rate of that going forward and seeing if you're paying a reasonable price, which it's difficult enough to do, but I can quantify that more than I can quantify. Like, if you had some specific insight into the price of potash over the course of the next three to five years, you'd be you'd do better in a company like this than if you knew you know or tried to predict their cash flow. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the direction of the the price of the commodity is going to have the biggest effect, and if you knew that, which is just almost impossible to guess, so um, that's where we say if there's a low likelihood or probability to be able to understand. Uh, where the where the commodity is, then it's very difficult to uh, value the business based on cash flow. All right, I think that's going to ki- kill our show for this week. <laughs> Kick it off, get rid of it, kill it. We're de- it's it's beaten. Aaron's just he's left. He doesn't care <laughs> he's anymore. Grave. He's got the hell out of there. All right, we're we're good. Uh, again, we'll we'll be back again next week. We'll be at the World Outlook uh, on the February second and third. Brennan tells me Correct. right. On your calendar behind yeah. you, it probably tells you that, right? right Good. Time. Good. We'll keep your questions coming into our Your Stock, Our Take segments because, because we have these fabulous, fabulous mugs that we're going to start sending out to the best, the best uh, Your Stock, Our Takes. Or if you've got, you know, creative questions on the markets, you want us to compare two stocks, send those in and we'll uh, reward you with that brilliant mug that Keystone branded mug that you really want in your home. All right. Again, uh, I'd like to thank you for sending in all your questions. Keep them coming in. If you're watching this, viewing this on uh, YouTube right now, smash the subscribe button. If you're just listening to this on uh, iTunes, uh, rate and review us, only positive reviews. And as always, I wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.